everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow. Lindsay Rhodes here with an episode that I am so excited about. I am a huge fan of Mike Tricos, as I'm sure are most of you. Uh, you know him from NBC's Olympic coverage. Dude has covered horse racing, auto racing, the Indianapolis 500, golf, tennis, soccer. Uh, he's done a bit play for hockey, the NBA, college football, obviously the NFL. He's called games in the NFL for 17 straight seasons for ESPN on Monday night. Did that for a long time for NBC on Thursday night. And now this year for the first time, he will handle play-by-play duties for NBC for the most watched show on television for 11 years running Sunday night football. He is one of the most talented people in the business that I am in of sports broadcasting. And he's certainly one of the most versatile. I'd be shocked if you could come up with anybody more versatile than him. And I tell you what, that's the thing that floors me the most about his talent, because I've gone back and forth between sports before, and I know how much work that required of me. And I was only a sideline reporter or a news of the day reporter or a pre and post game host. In most of those roles, you get to hop into the conversation and hop out. In other words, you can control what you bring to the table. You can, as a sideline reporter, react to what you're hearing in the broadcast, maybe frame questions to athletes accordingly in your interviews. To do play-by-play for two to three hours is to effectively talk stream of consciousness about the thing that you're covering. There is nowhere to hide. You have to know what you're talking about. And you have to be able to have that conversation confidently. The fact that he can do that for so many different sports blows my mind. And that he even knows who I am, much less that I get to have a conversation with him for 40 plus minutes. That blows my mind too. And by the way, he's as kind as he appears on TV. Quick story. I had never met him before. Uh, One day, got off the set after doing a Total Access show for NFL Network. My phone dings. I have a text. I look down. It's from Mike Tirico. Something along the lines of, hey, I think you do a good job. Keep it up. You guys, it would be like a college quarterback getting a text from Tom Brady congratulating him on a game or something. I died. Full on nerded out, right? Like playing it cool to everybody around me. Screenshot the text, sent it to my husband, sent it to my brother, sent it to my parents. Like Mike Tarico knows who I am. And he went out of his way to get my number and send that to me. It was so special to me. It was such an affirmation. And I think it says so much about who he is that he would even bother to do that. And I really took that to heart in a bunch of different ways. I try to do that now for other people in broadcasting as much as I possibly can because I know what that felt like and I want to pass that along. I want someone who is grinding to know that I see them and some of the specific ways that I think they're doing well. So I'm really big on sending DMs and texts with random and specific praise. And I've sent a couple of those mics way. When I see him doing something subtle that I think I might appreciate more than most having been in host chairs myself. And that's pretty much been the extent of our communication. A couple of texts here and there. We ran into each other at a Super Bowl party once for a few minutes, but I've never had the chance to have a real conversation with him. And I am extremely grateful that he made the time to make that happen this week. And I hope that you enjoy my 40-minute nerding out session with one of my absolute broadcasting heroes. This is Mike Tirico. Let's break the huddle. 
I'm up, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Three. Mike Tirico, did I manage to actually find a day where you were not calling an event? I know. No, I'm not. I'm not. The summer's not too bad. Summer's yeah. pretty easy, actually. Yeah, summer, summer's got a good vibe to it. A lot of golf. Uh, finish up the Triple Crown horse races. Indy what? 500. So, yeah, it's that, that's fun. I, I love that stuff. I, I still like sports events. I, I like games and events and going to arenas, especially now when it was gone. You know, uh-huh. we, we missed it. So, to be at the Derby and, you know, you, we try to think of original different things to do. So like, let's open the, let's open the show between races on the track. So you're on the track and you do kind of look around and go, there are 150,000 people here. This is cool. Yeah. And at Indy, Indy. So I, have you covered an auto race before? No, I haven't. So it's so odd. And you, maybe if you watch uh, drive to survive the Netflix F1 series or yep. seen races or been to a race, you know, this, like there are people on the grid right around the cars. And I, I'd be like petrified. I don't want some fan with a pass and big camera to be stumbling over the wing of my car. At the Indy 500, the 33 cars are on the grid. People are milling around who get these special passes. It's nuts. It's crazy out there. But you stand on the on the track and turn four is there, turn one's there, and you look in either direction and you see like half of the 300,000 people that are there. It's like... It's crazy. So I, I still love going to sporting events. So summer's fun for me. It, so here's the thing that has always blown my mind about you. The fact that you go from sport to sport to sport to sport to sport, right? Like the versatility that you show and broadcast those events at such a high level is amazing to me. As somebody who has done the whole, like, you know, when I worked for a regional sports network, it was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to host an angels pregame show today. And then tomorrow I'm going to do sideline on a Kings game. And then the next day I'm going to report from a Lakers practice. And then when I started covering the NFL on a more consistent basis, and that became the only sport that I covered, that was the thing that I loved was that it got rid of the need to do homework every single night, because when you are not there every day, you're catching up and you have to get up to speed with all the things that the people who are there every day know when you jump in to do it. The fact that you jump in at like a national broadcast level and are expected to know everything that the, the hardcore fans know, I don't know. Do you just spend your whole life doing homework? Well, I I use the excuse constantly that, Hey, I need to watch this game. Sorry, I just have to, you know, you never know if we might start covering bowling. So I need to know. Oh, Um, God, please don't do bowling. I'm joking. joking. My my man, Rob Stone's got that down. Handbone Stone. Um, You know, I still do love sports and I still like it a lot. So I enjoy the discovery phase of it. Now, you brought up a point that is absolutely accurate and has changed recently because of not just the Internet and social media and bloggers who have uh, rightfully so built a really good following with their teams. Uh, They kind of thread the needle of covering the team, voice of the fan, opinionated, throw stuff out there, follow it really really closely and have some credibility. I have a good amount of credibility. That has now made it harder to jump in and cover sports at a national level. I mean, I, I know... I'm a Syracuse alum. That's the one team that I still claim because it's my school and it'll be my school for life. Right. So I know when I watch a Syracuse football game or a basketball game, there's stuff that somebody calling the game might miss because they're not following every game. And I know what it's like to be on their end. 
So in some ways that motivates you, but it also makes the job harder because there's more out there to digest. And I think that's a, a fascinating challenge for us. I know doing NFL games, I think there's a lot of, and you have this, Lindsay, there's institutional knowledge. It's 20 plus years of, I covered this team. I was at that game. I remember going to their facility. Oh, I remember when you were there and now you've been four places and now you're here. So I think that helps us with the NFL, maybe more than uh, any other sport that I cover that just repetition, repetition of people. And you have a reservoir to lean back on. How do you prep? What's your process like? Oh, uh, it's on that side of this desk in the office here. Um, you know, it's I love football season. And one of the reasons that I'm really excited beyond all the obvious stuff of getting back to doing a game a week every week is you're back in the no days off. You know, Bill Belichick is the the uh, guardian angel of all sports announcers come football season because there really are no days off. You leave a Sunday night game. Monday, you go back and watch your game, and then you start preparing for the next week. I usually try to build my chart on a Monday, and I'll watch Monday Night Football while I'm building my chart. Tuesday's one team, maybe the home team. Wednesday's the road team. Thursday, you kind of do catch up for what's been going on in the week, split my day, half the road team, then the back half the home team, because that's who we go see on Friday. And you go to their practice and do their production meetings. And then Friday night, Saturday is your team together. Saturday night's the visiting team. Sunday, you put it all together, and then you get on the plane and you rinse, repeat, and you do that 20 weeks in a row. That That's fun. And then, you know, you get weeks where you double up and you have a Thursday game to go with the Sunday. So uh, you just kind of double, double time, get everything done in a short week like the teams do. I think that's why broadcasters and players, coaches, coordinators uh, in the NFL have a good connection because, you know, you arrive at the end of the week and you've been all working all week for what I call a three-hour open book oral exam where you don't know the questions and, you know, you're being graded by America while you're doing it. So it's, it's fun. I, I love the process. It's hard to do 52 weeks a year, but those 22 weeks are fun. I can't wait to get back on the treadmill and get going. Do you take, especially maybe for a sport that is not the NFL, when you're mm-hmm. jumping into something that you don't cover with as much frequency and maybe consider yourself less of an expert perhaps? do you take copious notes and then just try and kind of like live in that space when you're doing so many events, there's less time also for some of the turnaround. Like you could be doing, you know, a tennis match and then a golf event within a couple of days span perhaps. So I'm curious about how you put all of that information and then are you a flusher or do you think that you just have good recall? Like how, how do you do it? Yeah, I I am uh, in in the old school days. I'm, uh, you know, take that thumb drive out, put the next one in. I don't memorize a ton because I've always had the fear, especially when I was doing college sports and pro sports, you know, that I was going to have the, uh, you know, the, the Notre Dame defensive back playing backup point guard for the Blazers or something like that. You know, it's like, oh, they're all the same. And now, now, especially with, you know, next generation uh, players that you've been in the business long enough, you start to see sons of players, totally. and daughters of players <laughs> playing go. Really focus now. Let's 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 get it right. Don't be the old guy. Like, oh, that was his dad. That was his mom. <laughs> um, you know, for for sports like uh, horse racing, I only do three or maybe four events a year. Usually, triple crown races, so it's three. And this is year six for me doing that. So 
you gain institutional knowledge over time. But when there's a big race during the summer, if I'm not covering it, if I don't watch it live, I'll make sure I record it and go back and get caught up on it. Certainly Breeders' Cup, that runs on a Saturday. So wherever we are for that NFL Saturday, at some point, I'll make sure that I go back on YouTube and watch the races, if not have the show on. Because you know that whoever does well in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, you're going to see on the Triple Crown Trail. And then there are prep races all year. So uh, when those big major stakes grade one prep races are going in horse racing in January, February, March, I'm keeping an eye on those. Just so when you get to the Derby, you're not like, oh, where'd this horse come from? Right. So knowing what the schedule is, it does help the cadence of that. And golf has been part of my life since 97. So this is 25 years of covering golf. And most of the golf courses stay the same. The majors go to similar places, not the same, but I've been to most of the major layouts for an event over time. And, you know, you get 10, 12 new guys a year who come in. Okay, you got to learn that. So it just kind of add on, add on, and try to do it the best way you can. How many of the sports that you cover would you say you consider yourself an expert in? Or, you know, None. you know yeah. what I mean? Really? None. No, I'm not an expert in anything. I could probably have the, the best uh, nerd conversation in football uh-huh. uh, because, because of my time around John Gruden. I, the, the, the eight years with, with Gru was, it was like getting a PhD in football. You know, uh, John came out of coaching. He wanted a team to coach and would explain XO stuff to us. And uh, I just felt like I sat in those meetings and, you know, the th- first year was, wow, it's a lot going on. This, I thought I knew all the nomenclature and the language of football. But then as time went on, it was it was good. I could recognize plays from a West Coast offense system uh, and all that stuff. So so that that would say the that I would say that's the one that I could have the best conversation, but it's still nowhere near an expert level. Uh, you know, the I think the other ones over time, you just know, you know where your guardrails are. Uh, golf, golf, it's been a long time, but that's the key for every broadcaster. Just don't be afraid to not know. Uh, ask a good question because most of the people at home uh, are not junior coordinators. They're not, uh, you know, offensive coordinators in training. They just want to sound smart and know what they're watching. So if you can explain to him or her, hey, th- this is what they mean by cover two, and this is why this this guy is really good. And all of a sudden, now in the last seven years, the slot cornerback in the NFL has become a big money uh, position and a really good one. So I remember. Uh, we had a game, it was when he was with the Steelers, we had a game with Mike Hilton, who then went to the Bengals. And Chris Collinsworth asked for Mike Hilton in a meeting. It was really good. We just started talking about the qualities that make a slot corner good compared to a boundary corner or, or so, somebody on the outside. And it was really fascinating. So now I have a better understanding of that. So look, we're we're all in the curious business, I think, in our industry. And uh, if your curiosity is augmented by really smart people around you, like a Chris Collinsworth, like John Gruden when I work with him, football coaches who, who are always willing, as you know, to just sit and explain stuff to you. Then it just gives you a chance to see it and ask a better question. So when you're at home watching a game, I can turn to the person next to me on the set or in the booth, and hopefully they can help you understand and enjoy what you're watching a little bit more. That's, that's what our job is. There's no, there's no expert exam. You know, nobody's walking away giving you a trophy saying, congratulations, you, you've hit level three of football expertise. <laughs> We're going to give you a gold football. What's funny, too, is I feel like as I've gotten uh, older in the business, one of the things that I've noticed is that people who are just starting out try to prove how much they know a lot more 
because, you know, you're trying to prove yourself. And so you have to establish credibility, whereas people who are kind of a little bit further along understand that you just need to know enough and then don't try to squeeze in all of the things that prove all of the stuff that you do know that actually is like a red flag of insecurity and makes it look the other way. But I do think that one of the things that I've, I have hit on that you said there too, that's become important to me is you just have to, in your studying, know that you know enough about what the fans, like what's on the radar right now. What are the storylines? You have to know enough so that you know that when you are asking a question, it's not a, a dumb question. And then, so, cause if you know, I know this much information to know that I can feel confident asking this question and know it's probably something that somebody out there is also curious about. It, it's a really good point, Lindsay. And it changes. You no, know, uh, Rob Highland is our producer who I work with at NBC a ton. And what we always are fond of having the conversation about it's broadcasting because it's a broad audience. Now, am I broadcasting the game knowing that uh, a high school football coach is watching? Or am I broadcasting for my mom who just enjoys football, right? You can't hit everybody all the time. So you've got to give everybody a little bit of variety. Sometimes the basic that's in front of you is not known by everyone. And I think football is evolving over the last five or six years that more people look, the numbers tell us more people watch. So more people know more about it. So you could probably get more nuanced in your description and questions during a football game. than you can um, in basketball with a drag screen or, or different things like that. Right. Because not as many people use that terminology, but by the millions, we know every weekend people are watching and absorbing football. So what happens? More people know about it. Uh, the, the NFL fits perfect. I think this is why the NFL's grown in our lives and in our culture and our country the last decade. The NFL fits life perfectly. Give me five hours and I can be a great fan of my team. Three hours on Sunday. Maybe I'll sample 30 to 40 minutes of pregame and postgame on Sunday. That leaves another hour during the week where I can get on my phone. I can watch a know uh, an NFL network show I can watch an ESPN show I can watch something on Peacock I can watch whatever I want and get like an hour of what's going on in the league three hours on my team of the game a half hour on each side of the game in five hours a week I'm pretty dialed in compared to you know baseball game could take four hours and I love baseball but you can't stay with the day-to-day-to-day baseball at that same time investment that you can football. And I just think as our lives have gotten less nine to five and our lives are all over the map, work from home, work different hours, work on the West Coast while your job's on the East Coast, take the kids to soccer practice and ballet and all this other stuff, the NFL still fits our life better than 81 games, 82 games, or 162 games. So to me, that's why. Football has had the opportunity to hit this growth spurt and everything around it, the packaging of it and the TV friendliness of it has just taken it and blown it through the roof right now. For all of the reasons you just mentioned, it has over the years become my favorite sport to cover from a broadcasting standpoint, also my favorite as a fan. But I think uh, there's also each game matters because there aren't as many games. Each game has individual storylines that are well-established and are relevant and are not just 
storylines that we're talking about because we have to come up with something to talk about on TV. They're like legit X's and O's or, you know, matchup related or whatever it might be. One of the things that I didn't love about covering baseball in my experience was that if you're doing it on a day-to-day basis, rather than just jumping in every once in a while, there are not legitimate storylines that actually matter every single day. Like baseball happens in stretches. So a player might go into a slump where after nine games, now it's worth talking about it. But if they go over on one day and you go up to them and put a microphone in their face and ask them just what wasn't working for you today, they're like, why are you a moron? It's baseball. Like just go away. And I think that's why baseball players are so grumpy in uh with people like us because they have to do this for so many days of the year and we don't recognize because we're looking for content i mean we're in the position that we're in but you know you could play a game and at the end of the game it just is what it is and let's go back tomorrow and i don't want to answer eight questions about what just happened you know you know it's it's such a good point i think that's why nfl games lend themselves to national broadcasts better than the other sports because uh, you, you throw the baseball thing. I'll take the team that I follow living in Michigan, the Detroit Tigers. Like I, I know that the starting pitching has been ravaged by injuries this year. All five starters have been hurt and are on the injured list. And this guy's come up and that guy's come up and he's been pretty good. Now what's going to happen when the other guys get healthy? Well, this is an important start for this guy because somebody's ready to come off the injured list and the bullpen has been really good, but the closer doesn't get used and they haven't used them at all in this series because they got blown out in the first two games. So can he go two innings like that stuff on the day to day when you're following closely? Yeah, you can be all into that on the national level. You you can't you can't get into that micro stuff when you no know, you're talking the middle relievers especially the way baseball is so you're right with the NFL though that once a week those national storylines are very much parallel to the local storylines plus fantasy football I mean like people follow it closely because I, I mean I I had in an airport last year somebody stop me and say hey hey with DJ Shark out uh, who, uh, who do you think who do you think is going to take his catches in Jacksonville? I'm like, you were about DJ Chark on a team that that's not doing anything. What, what, no, what, what, what are you thinking about? Well, look, Trevor's going to be playing. and I know they're going to be trailing, so they're probably going to throw, but they're going to throw as much if they, if he wasn't the number one pick and I'm like, wow. But it matters because this dude wanted to make sure that his fourth receiver slot when he had bye weeks was covered with somebody. And with is there DFS? somebody? Yes. Right. Oh, well that's, Go get the value guy. Exactly. All, Mm -hmm. all of that's all of that stuff. So, so while that happens at the baseball level, football, we have such a volume of people and that does make our jobs on the national broadcasts a lot easier than say you go in for the Fox Saturday baseball game or the Sunday game and you don't have stars, you have stars pitching, but okay, here's the fourth guy in the rotation. Well, let's make him the focal point of the night. It's a challenge. So look, we're, we're all lucky to be around the NFL and cover it. And I think there are real legitimate societal reasons that the growth has been massive over the last 10 years. Do you play fantasy? I did. I did for a while and then, um, and then got out of it. I, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, just the roster moves were a little too much. I, you know, I, I did find, I did it for one year in basketball when I started covering the NBA. I found it was my best way to learn the personnel of the league. That's why I so, started too. 
Yep. That that that's that's where it does help. It, it's a lot of fun. So I I love to um I, I love to look at the league and just look at I, what I think is really fun are those elimination pools where you're yeah. trying to figure out okay who's going to lose this week. You start looking okay. Wait, I want, I want to save this team for week eleven, but I want to save this team for week twelve. Who's going to be back? There's uh there are so many different things like that with the league that I love. I I don't have the I, I need the bandwidth to see what's going on for the teams, not for the individuals. But I will tell you, when I was doing Monday Night Football in the third and fourth quarter, I was very aware that a lot of people's fantasy games were coming down to the last quarter of the game. Oh, right, Monday so, night. Yeah, on Monday night, you knew the week was ending. Like guys' games were coming. We had a we had a Green Bay game against Atlanta late in the year. Matt Ryan had a nuts game. Julio Jones had over three hundred yards receiving. It was a great receiving yard games in NFL history. And I remember as I'm watching the third quarter, and I think I might have said, or if I thought, I certainly thought it. Like, hey, Julio Jones is changing the course of somebody's fantasy season right now because it was in December, right? Oh. So, so th- those things. Those things stay on your mind. It did when I was doing Monday night. And Sunday night will be a second to last game, but it's still significant for people. Look, we we can't talk directly about gambling, but you know in a game, you have the hardcores of the two teams' fan bases with you. But then you have the people for whom individually, whether it's their fantasy game or their wager, the outcome of the game, the plays, the yardage, all that really does matter. So there is a a very keen awareness that there are people watching this game who don't really care what the final score is going to, or who wins, but they care the margin or the individual stats. And that's something I think that as broadcasters, especially in those late primetime windows, we, we need to keep in mind because that's our audience. And I always treat this like a business lens. If you're not servicing your customers, you're not doing a good job. So our viewers are our customers. We need to know what they need and what they want. And that's part of what they need and want. It's never more important than the game who's winning, but it's relevant. And I think we need to address it. Do you familiarize yourself with the lines? Yeah. So I, you kind I, of I, can follow that without name checking it necessarily? Yeah, no doubt. You know, and, and Al Michaels has done it for years. And really, I, I help understand Al and Brett Musburger were the two guys who were the were the the rye fox just kind of leaving it out there and referring to it. I don't but know that Brent did, was all that subtle about it though. Well no at, <laughs> at, 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 some, at some points some points Brent just said, yeah. I remember I remember it's one of my favorite stories because I went to Syracuse and live in Michigan. Syracuse played Michigan in the big house uh late 90s and Brent was doing the game and Syracuse was a two touchdown underdog and Syracuse took the opening kickoff, went down the field and scored a touchdown. And going to break, Brent said it must feel like Syracuse is up three touchdowns at this point. I'm like, oh my god, it's just <laughs> but it's just the best. I, I love them so much. Um, you need to know because the viewers are out there. So I always know what the total is on a game, and I'm not getting into like second half totals yeah, no. or second half spreads. But I, the the big number going in, know what the spread is because if it's a 12 point game and the line is four. And a team score four and a half, and a team scores a touchdown. It's nice to know that if they kick the extra point, somebody's kicking their TV, and you can just reference that they are going for one, and just kind of leave it out there. Do you see this changing in the yeah. next couple of years? Because obviously, the league, the whole 
you know, relationship with gambling has changed with all of the partnerships and stuff like that. I feel like we're like a year or two away from it being on the ticker. It, it, it's definitely walk, jog, run, sprint, right? And, and I, I think we're, you know, we're entering the jog phase of this. And I don't blame them for not going all in all at once. It would be very easy to do. But we're going to have stadiums that have the ability to wager in the building. People sitting in the stands can wager on the game. People at home can. So it has to be done in balance because there is a part of gambling that has concerns. There is a part where people are throwing away money. They're not betting responsibly. Uh, I think we do have a responsibility to not make it more important than the game. But I also think we are in a time of authenticity. And if the league is accepting betting sponsorships at the team and league level, and it's something that's present in stadiums, there probably isn't a problem with a subtle reference to it during a game or an acknowledgement of it. Now, I don't mean to do it's fourth down, fourth and eight, and this one's for the cover, you know? Better's on their feet in Vegas to see if he'll (laughs) score a touchdown for the cover. But if you reference, you know, and that that touch that touchdown, you know, makes this makes uh makes it 45 points scored in this game over what the experts thought, over what the line was, that's fine. I I think we're talking to our audience and we're not taking away from the game. I, I think that's where they're trying to do the walk, jog, run, sprint, because if you go wide open, then I think it really impacts the balance of the game over the wager. And I think the league is trying to make sure that they do this the right way. So I think that I understand why they're doing it this way. And I think over the next few years, you'll see it continue to grow. Hey, did you ever think a couple of years ago that we would see, we'd see lines on the ticker and the pregame shows and open conversation, wagering commercials in games. I know. Nope. Never. Right. I've I've told this story before, but I was once at NFL network uh, dissuaded from using the phrase favorite in a conversation. And I was like, at the time I was like, I'm not even a betting person. I'm literally not even using that in a betting sense. I'm talking about the fact that the Patriots are expected to win this game against the lions. Right. Like, so in that sense, I'm just talking about them as the team that's expected to win, not the legit Vegas favorite, although I'm sure they're that too. But I was told to like, you know, maybe just change the parlance that we talk about these teams, underdogs and favorites. Let's not do that. I was like, this is insane. The fact that we've gone from that to this within Mm -hmm. such a short period of time blows my mind. And, and and you bring up a good point because there's always an editorial portion of this. In college sports, we were always dissuaded from talking wagering, and that's obviously changed and adjusted. But I would always counter, you know, hey, if a team was a three-touchdown underdog in a college game, a big spread like that, that's newsworthy, right? Because this is one of the biggest upsets. Well, how do we quantify a big upset? It's usually by point spread. So if you're in an NFL game and it's the fourth quarter, and um, it's, you know, it's it's Kevin Harlan's game on CBS, right? There should be no reason that at the end of the game, Kevin can't say that's the biggest upset this season in the NFL because it was a 16 and a half point spread. That that adds context to the journalistic value of telling the story. And it's not for, you know, somebody in a shady back room, you know, who's got a little pencil and he's just figuring out how much money he's going to uh, be making off the spread. So it, it's 
it's nice to see it evolve. Uh, I, I wonder how far it's going to go. I wonder if it really will impact viewership. Will people watch longer and more because of it? And I think the most important thing is going to be keeping the credibility of the game. And I think that's why the league is also taking its time. You know, I, I think there are always concerns with sports betting of making sure games aren't fixed, making sure everything's on the up and up. And we've seen it in other sports. And I think you really have to be careful because a huge scandal can scar a sport. So you don't want to take the money, take the money and not be aware of what the consequences could be. So while it's easy for us to talk about this, you go back and you read about point shaving scandals like with Boston College uh, in college basketball. You go, okay, this, this is real and it's happened in our lifetime. So there's reason for pause. So that is a, a, something that we're going to have to wade through from a football standpoint. It feels like uh, the analytics conversation is becoming in a different way, but becoming much more on the radar also. Is that something that you have found yourself focused on more so than you have in the past in terms of the game situations that come up? Because I do feel like as somebody who I can't do math, right? But I I love all the PFF stuff. I love information. So I love things that make me feel like I'm learning about the game in ways that I wasn't, or I'm information I can't come up with on my own. And so yes. in that sense, I love all the information that they provide. I have seen games where I'm following along on Twitter and there are announcers that go, I can't for the life of me figure out why they're going for it. And meanwhile, NFL Twitter or analytics Twitter is like giving you all the odds and there's tons of evidence as to why they're going after it. Have you had to put some of that stuff on your radar more in the last couple of years? Understanding of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, for, for us working on the NBC games, we're very lucky working in the studio and now on the games I've got, I've got Mr. PFF right next to me in Collinsworth. Yeah. So he, he's got his team. So we're certainly up to speed on all of that, but I think, Coaches have come around to it mm-hmm. more as we Some get a younger generation. Right. As we get a younger generation of coaches, they've come around to it and the data is there. So you can help understand the value of why uh, Brandon Staley always wants to go for it on fourth down or almost always. Right. And didn't back down in the last game, game 272 at the end of the season against Las Vegas. He, you know, to use the Vegas where he, he kind of doubled down on the going for it on fourth down deal and some were because game situation, but, but they did. And I don't go too deep into it because it doesn't lend itself to easy explanation in a game, but you have to make sure you can understand the how and the why. And then Lindsay, as you know, always the challenge is how do you present it in a short, easy to understand uh, little segment that doesn't take away from the people for whom it doesn't matter a bit. Uh, you know, I always try to remember where am I when I'm watching games at home? I'm in my TV room. I'm in my chair. I'm watching a game. I'm kicked back. I'm relaxed. I am not in math class. So I can't inundate. I can't be inundated. And I don't think we want to inundate fans with too much, right? That that's almost for self-discovery. But when you can get to that point, Hey, here, Here's the completion percentage for Aaron Rodgers when throwing to his right from the right hash between 10 and 19 yards. And that number is better than everybody else. 
the one thing I think that is important with all of the analytics and, and you hit the game game decisions that are made. And those are proven over time. That's just an amalgamation of all the percentages of things that have happened. I think with individual players, that data really always needs some reference point, like an average. Like I'll, I'll watch golf and I love golf. If you watch the uh, TrackMan stats, you'll see the yardage carry in the air. Okay, that's great. What's the average carry on the PGA Tour? You know, what the apex of an eight iron is 109 feet. Wow, that's really cool. What's the average or what's the average for a 10 handicap, right? Uh, you know, at, at a club, just so there's context to help give value to it. I think as broadcasters, we are all managing the data and we need to continue to manage not just the data, but the meaning of the data. If we can keep doing that, then we're, we're doing the right thing for the viewer. We've got to work for the viewers. Um, so it's our access to players. It's asking questions, but it's also taking the whole week that we have to study and finding the important things. And um, very lucky because you mentioned Pro Football Focus. That group and our NBC research group—they wade through you know, mountains of stuff, and we still have a lot to choose from for a Sunday night game or for Football Night in America when we're in the studio. And those decisions really come during the week as you wade through all that to say this is relevant. Here's how it matters. And here's an easy way to digest it for the fan at home. You mentioned Collinsworth. Will the slide be back? Stay tuned. Oh, not going to give it to me, huh? I can't. I I can't. That's not, that's not, it's his slide. It's his slide. I, I, I can't. I can't tell you if there have been high level or low level conversations <laughs> on that at this point. Uh, may have to put it to a Twitter vote, but uh, you'll have to stay stay tuned for that. That, that is a Chris original, so I'm gonna. It's so stay good away from that for the moment. <laughs> it's, he's. I don't know. It's good. I don't, I don't know. If, I mean, you don't typically open on singles, though, and then you know that's not your. You never know. You never know. You know. Yeah, do can. Can you hit the ball left to right? If you've hit it right to left your whole career, you don't know. It's a golf problem. Find that out. Hey, Chris, Chris and Al were um, as good a team, you know, as you'll, you'll ever see. They did, they did such a great job for so long. And uh, Chris, Al and Michelle made Sunday night football, a terrific broadcast for over a decade, which is unheard of in primetime TV. And as you know, football teams on the air don't stay together all that long, all that often. Uh, Fred Gadelli did an unbelievable job producing those games. Um, I'm so blessed to have been around them and worked with them. Chris and I did about 20 games together. So there's no like, oh, let's see if this works. Like we know how yeah. each other likes to operate and how we get along. And I you know, get along great with Chris uh, and his family and, and, and vice versa. So uh, I'm really excited about the fact that there's not a huge discovery process to this you kind of will jump in at the go and um you know this whole announcer conversation thing is taking on a life of its own which is kind of funny in a lot of ways but uh i think all of us if you talk to joe and troy you talk to jim and tony and uh you know kirk's now in the in there with al and obviously you know kevin burkhardt and greg olson excited for those guys too you talk to anybody all you want to do is Give the, give the viewers a good game. Give them a little bit of access, a little bit of help to understand things better. And uh, it's crazy how this has taken off in its own world. But, uh, man, it's fun to, fun to be a part of the league at its apex right now. And uh, to be a part of Sunday Night Football, too, is so cool. So TBA on the slide. Oh, all right. Fine. I'll, 
wait and find out about that with the rest of America. You've worked with a million good announce uh, uh, analysts, um, Collinsworth being one of them. What do you think makes a good analyst? Yeah, um, it's a good question. It's a really good question. I think timing. I think curiosity, which Chris is the best at. He's just got a natural curiosity for everything. Uh, he's, it's helped me in my approach. Just the couple of uh, years of being around Chris has really helped me refine what I do. But I also think it's an ability to take the complex and explain it simply without talking down to people. That's hard. I mean, you think about, you know, watch, watch CNBC, right? And the, the market can be complex to a lot of folks. But like a Jim Cramer has a great way of just really simply saying it. Uh, weather can be very complex, right? But, uh, you know, your, your local meteorologist sometimes can explain it real easily. And, and you get it. And I think football, because 22 individuals are going in all different directions. A lot of them aren't looking at the ball. The ball is all that matters. And there's all this stuff going on. You can pick anything on any play to analyze and make it really important. Uh, Chris has that ability. John had that ability as well, working with him. Kirk Herbstreit, we worked together a whole bunch uh, when he started out at ESPN to just kind of pick what's in front of them and tell you why that's important. And usually it's, if not the most important, one of the most important things that happens. And that's, that's the key. And you've, you've sat on the set across from analyst, uh, somebody who can watch a whole game and just kind of distill it into a couple of sentences. And you're like, yeah, I watched the same game and I didn't see that, but you nope. did. That's and what some makes some people can't. And that's, right. that's, that's the important distinction distinguisher here. I think that there are a lot of people who totally know football and could probably answer questions about it in a way that's helpful. But there are a lot of people that I, I think that one of the things that makes some of these analysts stand out is when they are able to put their finger on, I just saw something that I know you probably didn't see, and I can't wait to tell you about it. Yes. Like they know exactly. the difference between what they know and what we know and, and how our experiences differ. Because a lot of analysts will sit down and they'll tell you exactly what you see, you know, right, and they just don't right. know how to get to the thing that they I'm sure they see it, but they don't know how it's different and how to get there. Well, we always talk about the glue players like this, especially basketball. He's a great glue guy. It makes everybody else better. Uh, the, the right coaches, the right teams make everybody a little bit better, elevate them a little bit. So a great analyst does that and I, I see it firsthand when you when you sit when you watch Chris prepare you take your film study your knowledge of the league your knowledge of football then you take the time you spend with players in meetings on both sides and the coaches you get a little sense of what's going to go on you have an idea in your mind how this is going to play out and then it's happening in front of you can you put all of those pieces together as it's going on in front of you, because you're not necessarily looking for one thing. Something may change during the game. So that's a little bit of the, I guess, the sauce that people don't see being made during the week. I, you know, I've heard a lot of folks say, hey, a guy, guy's going to come in and go to a meeting on Saturday and watch some film and then do the game on Sunday. It's a week, it's a week long process. Now, does it have to be? Well, to be great, it does. Right. 
And and that's what the important part is. And you can hear as you watch games across college ball, pro ball, you can hear the guys who've studied all week and you know that they get it because they'll say, hey, that's what they did five weeks ago. That's what they did to this team that played cover two. They ran the same stuff or they knew this was coming because they watched that tape and they made an adjustment. You can just hear it. So you don't know what rabbit holes they go down, but they come out with the rabbit all the time. The best ones do. And that, that's, that's what Chris is great at. And I think that's what makes a great analyst, the curiosity, the preparation, and the ability to put the jigsaw puzzle together right in front of you as you're watching. Last question. As someone who has done just about everything there is to do in broadcasting, is there anything left that you have not done that you would like to in your career? It's a good question. I, uh, I always say that the, the event I enjoy the most is the next one because I, I, was, doing a, I was doing an NBA game and uh, did a master's promo at an NBA game. And I'm like, man, no place like being at Augusta National. And I'm thinking, man, the Blazers fan who's watching this game is all into this great game. And you just kind of you know, rained on their parade a little bit. And it just reminded me to be present and the next event is going to be great and just love it for what it is and don't rank them like, hey, this is sixth and this is eighth. Um, and I've been fortunate to do so many uh, really good events, especially at NBC with Olympics and Triple Crown, Indy 500 and Super Bowl pregame hosting and all that stuff. It's been so cool. But I love games. I love arenas. And you know, hopefully down the line, I get a chance to call Super Bowl. That's the biggest event in our country for sports. It brings the most people together Wait, of anything what? we do. Have you not called a Super Bowl? No, 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 absolutely not. No, I've, I've called a few playoff games, like five, five playoff games or so, but I've never called the Super Bowl. So that, that would be, that, that, that would be the number one. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest fish of what we do for a living. There are very few people who've done it. When you really think about it, you go back with Kirk Gowdy and Pat Summerall and all those guys for many years. In the last few years, it's been Joe or Jim or Al. And, you know, there's there's no room at the end, right? Because <laughs> the Super Bowl's rotated amongst the three networks. So um, Kevin will have the chance to do one this year, which is awesome. I'm so excited for him. And then as the rotation continues on, hopefully I'll get a chance to do one the next time uh, NBC's Super Bowl comes around. And that that would be great. I hope to get to um, doing the doing the Super Bowl pregame was fun. Doing the trophy presentation was a blast. Uh, but there's nothing like the game. So uh, hopefully that would be the the one last one to complete the uh, trip around the world. Well, welcome to the end, Mike. I can't, <laughs> I can't wait for your Super Bowl call. Oh, uh, I can't wait either, but we've got the question of the slide to still answer roads. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, isn't he great? So kind, so generous, so talented. And I'm really excited that we're going to get to hear him on Sunday nights. With a Collinsworth slide, just reading into his comments, felt like maybe he was leading us in that direction. Anyway, you can follow him on Twitter at Mike Tirico, or you could just turn on your TV. He will probably be there. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you listening. Would love if you'd continue listening. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. If you'd be so kind as to hit that five-star button and leave a review, that would be awesome also. 
Big thanks, as always, to Andrew Emmer, our producer here on the NFL Roadshow, part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Marissa Rivas is the director of sports podcasts for SiriusXM, and Stephen Cohen is the SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, and a big thank you to him as well. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you back here again next week. Serious XM Podcasts.